All right, good morning. Uh, please excuse me, I've been uh, fighting off uh, pneumonia the last two weeks. I'm about 95%, so uh, you know, I feel good. I'm excited to be here with you guys. But I didn't want to start with some prayer because uh, I would need some prayer this morning. So let's pray together. God, we, we give you this time. Would you just speak to us, not just generally, but individually, to every heart, God, the words that we need to hear. And would you feed us your word, that it would just bear spiritual fruit in our lives. We give you this time and space in our hearts and minds. So would you work? Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. When you are in need of help, uh, where do you turn? Well, I hope you wouldn't turn to sources like this. I have a little short video, so if you just take a look. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächter. Das Gerät, das Überlebensradar. This is the German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? That's so good. <laughs> this is the German. Anyways. <clears throat> you know, when you're in a distressing situation, you know, your hope is that the person that you turn to would be able to answer and help. Right? And so we come to a wonderful psalm this morning because it is a clear reminder that we have, as the people of God, one source of reliable hope, which is our God, Yahweh God. Amen? And so the psalmist doesn't want us to waste time, waste our life and resources and energy seeking all sorts of different avenues of help. For him, he's like, I know where my help comes from. No hesitation, with full confidence, he says, my help comes from Yahweh God. But here, there is a sobering and simple reminder that for all of us in this room, there are going to be moments in our lives when we do need help. Because the journey of life is sometimes very tough. And there are moments when it gets really hard and you wonder, can I actually make it through? This is what Jesus warned his disciples because if you read John 16, 33, he clearly warns his disciples saying, in this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. Meaning physically and spiritually that there are going to be things that come along your way that will trouble you. 
What's, uh, what's beautiful about this psalm is that Psalm 121 is a part of 15 psalms. It's a collection of psalms. That's why it's called the Song of Ascent in the beginning of verse 1. You see that? Or the Psalm of Ascent. Because what these 15 psalms were was that as the people of God were from their home going to Jerusalem on three different occasions, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, they would sing it on this journey. Now, the reason why it's called Ascent is because, let me give you a little picture. This is the climb to Jerusalem. It, it, topographically, it, it's you are going up. You are ascending. And so on the way, the people of God would sing Psalm 120 to 134, just to remind them of wonderful truths so that they are ready to encounter God when they reach Jerusalem. Now, but the one characteristic of this journey up to Jerusalem was that it was dangerous. There were a lot of impending dangers, right? Uh, if you've ever been in that area, um, the climate is not the best, yes? Right, in Southern California, we complain about 90 degree weather, right? You're like 90 degree, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna melt, right? You start like overreacting. But you haven't been in heat until you've been in Jerusalem heat. And so not only is there heat, but there's no street light, so when it's dark, I mean, you can slip and fall, hurt your ankle, animals would hurt themselves, and thieves and bandits would come. And so this journey of this ascending was filled with all sorts of pending dangers. And you see, it, it mimics and mirrors our journey of life. Because for all of us, there are all sorts of trouble and difficulty that come our way. And the question that the psalmist is posing is, I know where my help comes from. But how about you as the people of God? Where do you turn when you need help? The rest of the psalm is pretty simple. The psalmist is going to give us some reasons why we should turn to Yahweh God as our only option for help. Are you with me? All right. If you've ever heard me speak, I do enjoy a little bit of participation. Like, I'm the sick one, right? You guys okay? Are you with me? All right. Praise the Lord that you guys are awake. Thank you. So the first reason that the psalmist gives us that we should be turning to God. Read with me to verse 1 and 2. It says this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Why? He made heaven and earth. You know what he's saying? He's saying God is bigger than any issue you can encounter. That he is powerful enough. See, for him, the psalmist, he recognizes that even though there might be impending dangers on the hills, there is a creator, God, who created everything. And he's in full control. And so I can give him my issues and know that he is able to answer. I don't know if you've ever studied creation, but it's amazing. When you study the vastness of it, but not only the vastness, but when you look at the intricacies within the vastness, it's amazing. It's mind-blowing. For example, have you ever studied your eyeball? Isn't it beautiful? You're like, what? <laughs> okay. You know, it's considered one of the most complex organs in your body. Did you know that? And what's amazing about it is if you take a look here, you know, for your optometrist students, don't have a nightmare, okay? But this... The eyeball is a bunch of complex parts. They're multiple parts. And they must all work in harmony 
to give you the, the ability to see depth perception, motion, color, distinguish different varying things. And you see, if you don't, if one part is off, it's messed up. Isn't that amazing? And God created it in such a fashion that we are able to see through this one complex whole unit. Now, you don't seem amazed, okay? By the way, the reason why I bring this up is because uh, the eyeball is actually one of the best uh, and one of the greatest evidences uh, that you can use against any Darwinistic Okay, uh, evolutionary kind of scientist who believes uh, in kind of the survival of the fittest. Because if you follow, in the Darwinistic evolutionary thought, what is helpful for survival gets passed on, right? But in that sort of theory, the eyeball will never cease to exist. Did you know that? For example, follow with me. Imagine there's a protein or an amoeba. And it's kind of, you know, there's a big bang, supposedly, and then there's a protein, right? And, and it's moving around, and then it's like, you know what? A lens shows up. It's, you know, it's moving on in evolution. But that lens is not helpful for anything apart from the whole eyeball, right? So that that will never get passed on. Does that make sense? A retina, same thing, unless, unless one day there was this protein or some sort of creature, atom, whatever, and then all of a sudden an eyeball just popped up. And it was useful for seeing. And so now from that point, every other animal or, you know, living thing has this wonderful thing called eyeball. Did you know that the Darwinistic theory of evolution has no answer for what is called the irreducible complexity of life, like the eyeball? Are you amazed now? Is it too early for something like that? Are you like, what is he talking about? Talk about the Bible. No, but I want you to be amazed at the fact that God created that. Isn't that wonderful? And we're talking about an eyeball. Consider creation as a whole, the earth and how it rotates on an axis so that it doesn't burn certain areas and it gives light and it gives different climates. It allows us to live in a fashion. God created all of that. And when you gain an understanding and a perspective of that sort of God who is able and most powerful enough to keep that sort of creation at bay, what makes you think that God cannot handle our life issues? God is able and powerful enough for any situation you face because he's the maker of heaven and earth and everything that is in it. So for the psalmist, it's like, yeah, my help comes from Yahweh God because he made all this. He's powerful enough. Amen? Uh, let's move on. Now, I want you to notice one thing, though, before we move on. Uh, verses 1 and 2, I don't know if you notice, it's in the first person. There's an I and a me and a my, right? Because he's talking about himself. Verses 3 and on, it's all in the you. The reason why is this. He himself is convicted and convinced that God is his help. What he's trying to do is trying to convince everyone else, the people of God that are on this journey with him to say, I want to convince you that you need to make sure that God is your help. You, you follow? All right, so he's going to keep giving us more reasons. Let's go to verse 3. Verse 3 and 4 says this. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, it's subtle, but one of the things that he's going to bring up now is that God is the best option and there is no other better alternative. It's subtle, but I want you to get it. Who does well without sleep in this room? Anyone? Raise your hand. Uh, no one, right? We all need sleep, yes? The less sleep you have, the more problems. Isn't that true? <laughs> the things just start falling apart. And check this out. If your body needs sleep, it's not going to give you an option. It will just shut down. Uh, you know, I, I used to go to UCLA, and so I would go from home in Cerritos, and I would drive, sometimes with traffic, an hour, hour and a half. And you know, that, you know that car sleep that comes? You know what I'm talking about? You can't stop that. There is no stopping that force. I mean, I've tried everything. I kid you not. I've tried, you know, putting all the windows down, singing at the top of my lungs. I've tried raising the windows, putting on the heater so that it's super hot in the car. You still fall asleep. You just feel miserable. Right? I've shared this before, but I've had a friend who put toothpaste in his car, and he would just take it out and put it underneath his eye to try to fall, to keep awake. Even that doesn't work. You just have spicy eyes. How many of you guys experience this? You're looking at your phone at night, and you just fall asleep, so it just falls on your head. Look, you are limited. I'm going to just tell you right now. When you need to sleep, you will sleep. And it just knocks you out, and there's no stopping that. And so here, when it's talking about this, uh, it's, it's, it's subtle, but the psalmist is trying to help you to understand that in God, he doesn't need to sleep. So it's ironic that we would trust in ourselves so fast and so much when we are limited when God is not. Uh, let me just tell you, the last two weeks have been crazy. Uh, have you guys have had pneumonia? It is the worst thing I've experienced in my life. Uh, the first three, four days, I didn't even know I had it. I just thought I had the flu, so I just tried to tough it out. But it was not working. I would take four steps, and I would need to lie down because it makes you feel so weak. And so I'm trying to get breakfast for my kids, and I'm walking, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I literally would lie down in the middle of the living room, so my kids are like, are you okay, Daddy, <laughs> right? And I was literally like, I don't know what's wrong. Thank you, Pastor Sam. <laughs> I'm laughing at you know, my pain. But I'm going to tell you right now what that taught me. And, I, and you know, this is something just, I just want to share from you. I am very prone to self-sufficiency. I, I sometimes think I'm, like, better than I really am. And so I run, like, 100 miles per hour. I think I can handle everything. And then you get pneumonia. Let me just tell you, you can't do everything. And it's going to teach you quickly, man, you are limited. And you need God. The second option, and it's subtle, but it's interesting. If you look at verse 1, it mentions the hills, right? I look up to the hills. The reason why the psalmist is doing that is because on this journey, they would look at hills, and on these hills, there used to be idol worship, particularly of one famous god, which was, or a cultic idol god, which is Baal. You guys are familiar with it. But in that cultic understanding, their theological understanding of Baal, Baal would fall asleep. And so the people of God needed to cry out louder and louder to wake him up so that he would answer. This is, you remember in 1 Kings when Elijah is battling with the followers of Baal. You remember that story? Let's, let's go there real quick. Go to 1 Kings 18.27. And Baal's not answering. And so Elijah is mocking them. He says, cry aloud for he is God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. 
The reason why he says that last part, obviously there's a little bit of sarcasm in it, but he's speaking to something that they really believe, which is that because the way they respond is not like, how dare you make fun of our God? No, it's like, let's cry out louder. Maybe he is sleeping. You see, but check this out. Our God does not sleep nor slumber. That he is available at any moment. He's working on our behalf. And so we trust in that. Um, I'm going to say something. If there are some of you, and you need to hear this if this is you. Some of you in this room have trouble sleeping. You do. Because you worry and you fret, and you go through difficult situations, and you just stare at the ceiling, and you think of a million things racing through your mind. I want to tell you something. You can sleep because our God doesn't. When we sleep, God still works on our behalf. Does that make sense? You can rest in him and just let things go and just physically rest because you need it. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 4.8 says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. If you are having trouble, you need to turn to God for help. And just say, look, I want to trust you in this. I know it's important. I know it's hard. But God, would you give me rest? Because I want to find peace in you. You need to do that. Because God works. Because he does not sleep nor slumber. Let's move on. The next one. No matter how harsh your conditions get, God will and can protect and save and keep us. Okay? Uh, We're going to go pretty fast from verses 5 through 8, so just follow along. It says this, the Lord is your keeper. There's some strong, beautiful imagery here. The idea of keeper is kind of this idea of guarding and protecting like a shepherd, guarding his flock. That is our Lord. He keeps and protects us. And then it goes on to say what? The Lord is your shade. Like I mentioned before, if you are in Jerusalem without water or shade, you are going to die. It is an essential part of your covering and protection. And it's not just that he's our shade, but he's our shade on our right hand. What does that mean? Well, it's been very well known, even in the Latin world, right? They call it the lattice aperture which means that your right side is well known to be your weak side, your vulnerable side. Because in war, you would have a shield on your left side. You might have a sword, but it's the place to attack. So when it says that the Lord is your shade on your right hand, what the psalmist is trying to help you to understand is, look, he protects and covers even in your most vulnerable and weak moments and times of your life. God is there, and he can cover over you and care for you and protect you in a way that no one else can, regardless of how difficult and tough the circumstances might be. This is why the, the other imagery kind of just shows you kind of that eagle's wings, right? They say that God, that God can cover us like a mother eagle protecting her young. Well, how often does he do this? Verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. In Hebrew literature, to use two opposites like day and night means just any time. It covers everything. It's to say that God will do it all the time. Okay, move on to verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Not just circumstances, but evil people, evil circumstances, and even sin. 
God will keep you from it and protect you. Um, it's interesting. If you look at the second part of verse 7, it says he will keep your life. The, the word life can be translated soul. So the idea here is not just physical things, but spiritually that God can save you from sin and protect you and keep you from the harm and the evilness of sin. That is our God. Verse 8, I love verse 8. It says the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in on this journey of life. From this time forth and forevermore. This is a beautiful promise, my brothers and sisters, that for eternity, that God is watching out and he will do his work to help us to finish the race. And let me just tell you something. I can't wait to get to heaven, to be able to worship with Jesus, God the Father, Holy Spirit, and with all of you, and for us to have no more pneumonia and tiredness and pain and struggle and strife and to be able to enjoy peace and pure joy and the love of God our Father. I long for that day. And Jesus went to prepare that place for us and the promise is that God will carry us through, amen? I love that. So I will turn to him when I need help. There was a man named Derek Redman. I don't know if you're aware of his story, but um, uh, he pretty much trained his whole life to run in the Olympics and finally got a chance in the 90, 1992 Barcelona Olympics. He got to run the race that he trained his whole life. But when he started, a quarter of the way in, he pulled his hamstring so bad that he can do nothing else but to just fall on the ground. He tried to get back, he's limping, he's limping, trying to finish the race because this is the race that he just trained and sacrificed his whole life for. But what's interesting about this story and the reason why it got so much international attention is because something interesting happens. His father runs out of the stands, jumps on to the Olympic track, helps go alongside him, puts his arm around him, carries and helps him finish the race. It's such a beautiful picture of what this promise is. That sometimes in our lives we have so much that we want to happen and it doesn't work out and you feel like everything is falling apart. Let me just tell you, God can carry you uh, I have the video uh, of Derek Redman. I don't know if you mind if I would show it. But this is the clip from the Barcelona Olympics. Take a look.
don't mind the emotional music. I didn't put that in. Uh, but I, I want to talk to you honestly, okay? Just as brother to brother, brother to sister. Some of you in this room, you need help. You need help. You're going through something and you're just like, I, there's no one. You're stressed out, full of worry. We don't come to church to just learn a few facts. We come so that the Word of God can take root in our hearts. This is that we live in a way that is the best way, which is the way that God wants. And so you need to know that God, our Father, is there. He cares for you, and you can take anything to him. And he's able and powerful enough to answer. It's been like this. This is the heart of God. He wants his people to just trust him and to just walk in a way where we lean on him. Uh, let me give you a few verses. Um, this is a, a classic one, and I know some of you love this verse, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. and He will make straight your paths. Psalm 62, 8, I love this verse, says this, trust in him, trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Why? Because God is a refuge for us. And you might be thinking, Pastor John, if I do trust in him and walk in this way, will that mean and guarantee that everything will work out? Uh, not necessarily, but I'm sure of one thing, that you will have less stress, less worry. You have more peace. You have more perspective. You'll be able to see God greater. And you will feel the help of God. So I pray that you would not fix your eyes on just your problems, on your worries, or just the impending dangers of the hills. But as the author of Hebrews says, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's my prayer for you. Let's walk in that. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are our God who loves us so dearly. That you care for our situations and that you are our help. Forgive us if we've been running and just forgetting you and trying on our own or seeking other options because it just does not make sense biblically, God. You tell us that you are the vine and we are the branches and apart from you, we can do nothing. And so help us to be people that would turn to you for our help. I would also like to pray a special prayer uh, just for those that are really struggling and going through a very difficult time, God. Just please let your presence be felt. Holy Spirit, would you just come, bring the word of God and your comfort and the reminder to turn to you for help. Thank you so much. In your name we pray.